0: Hello, you're listening to the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo, and you can find us online at writerscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre, and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips, and valuable ideas on how to get published and write with confidence. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story, or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. Our team is passionate about all things writing, and in these podcasts, we'll be talking to best selling authors on their craft. We hope you enjoy today's podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Danielle Williams from the Australian Writers' Centre. Today we're speaking to Michael Robotham. Michael is an Australian crime fiction writer. His latest book is Watching You, a terrifying thriller featuring clinical psychologist Joe O'Loughlin, who has appeared in many of Michael's previous books. Michael began his writing life as a journalist, then moved into ghostwriting. As a ghostwriter, he wrote 15 books, 12 of which became bestsellers. His first novel, Suspect, was published in 2004, and since then he has written and published a book a year, in 2005, Michael won the Ned Kelly Award for Crime Book of the Year for his second novel, Lost. He won it again in 2008, and his books have also been shortlisted for major prizes in the UK. Michael lives in Sydney and is currently working on his tenth novel. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for talking to us today. First of all, uh, tell us about your latest book, Watching You.
2: It's a psychological thriller, Um featuring some familiar characters that have been in quite a number of my books, uh, psychologist Joe O'Loughlin and former detective Vincent Ruiz. But it also introduces someone new, Marnie Logan, who is a uh, a mother of two children whose husband disappeared 13 months ago. She um, he she came home one day to find a half-made cup of coffee in a cooling kettle and that was it. It simply vanished without trace. And it's one of those strange perversions of our justice system, both here in Australia or in the UK, where the book is set, that uh, if someone goes missing, unless they've been missing for seven years, you cannot have them officially declared dead. So in the case of Marnie Logan, you know, she is trapped in a form of limbo. She can't access his bank accounts or stop his direct debits or get his life insurance. And she's increasingly desperate and almost suicidal when she turns to psychologist Joe Lachlan for help. And uh, And... The story that emerges really is a story about a woman who, for her entire life, has felt as though she is being watched. And, uh, but increasingly, Joe begins to doubt Marnie. The more stories she tells him, and the more he investigates, the less confidence he has in uh, in whether she's telling him the truth or not.
1: Mm. Where did the idea for this book come from? Um, as you say, it's it's a psychological thriller, but it's it's well, it's a very interesting take on the um, stalker story. I suppose. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering where you got that
2: idea. The from. idea, it, like most of my books, it is actually seeded in a real life event, and um, it was a case. Uh, you know, I was born and bred in Australia, but I spent a lot of time working in, in the UK on Fleet Street, and at one point I was sent back to back to Australia to do a story about a stalker, and I can't even give you the, all the details because it actually gives too much of the of the plot of the book away, or certainly one of the big twists yeah. in it. Um, but it, it was based on a real-life event. And I guess I was, um, you know, I can't tell you enough about it in a sense that it was a woman who claimed that she was being stalked uh, and may well have been telling the truth. But uh, many people treated her as being paranoid or wondered whether she was attention-seeking or wondered if, in fact, she was being stalked by her own memories or, or past tragedies. And, and it wasn't as cut and dried as as, uh, as what anyone imagined when the truth came out.
1: Oh. Okay. Um, so you mentioned that Joe O'Loughlin and Vincent Ruiz feature in this one as well. Um, they're a really interesting team, a, a psychologist and a retired detective. How did these two develop? Because they featured in past books, but not always together.
2: No, I mean, I, I had no intention uh, of of writing a series when I began writing. Um, I wrote my first novel, um uh, it was published in 2004 and, and Joe O'Loughlin was the main character and I never intended to write him ever again. I, I wanted to write standalones and, uh, you know, I, I one of the reasons I gave him early-onset Parkinson, aside from the fact that I thought there was a tragic irony associated with someone having a, a brilliant mind like his but a but a crumbling body, um, I, you know, I also thought, well, no one's really going to want to have a, a long-running character who's got Parkinson's, which is only going to get worse. Um... And I really only brought him back in my fourth novel, um, Shatter, when I came up with an idea that was perfect for Joe to, to tell. So I, I, in a sense, it was almost accidental that, you know, and initially, you know, I think Vincent Ruiz was a minor character in the first novel and became a major character in the second lost. And I guess I created a, 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 a cast of characters that I could use. And, um, and, but probably Joe, Joe and Vincent have been the most, uh, popular. You know, and readers, you know, I think, you don't necessarily always give readers what they want. Uh, readers, um, you know, and I think most of my readers would prefer if I did a Joe O'Loughlin book every book, but um, I think that would drive me crazy. Uh, I do like, you know, I never want to write the same book twice. And um, I think there are too many writers of series um, that that should have probably pensioned off their characters a while ago and, and created something new because it, it, they get tired. And, uh, and you can see that in the writing.
1: Um...
2: But they are an interesting team. I guess, you know, the, the, together I think a lot of, I, even my wife who's my sort of designated number one reader, always feels a little bit happier when Vincent comes into the story because she knows that Joe can't get himself into too much trouble because Vincent will be there to pull his ass out of the fire, so to speak. yeah.
1: So you mentioned that you didn't think readers would be interested in a recurring character with Parkinson's. But in watching you, there's another character who's who's quite ill, Marnie's son. I'm just wondering about you know why you would choose to give your characters some sort of chronic illness. Is there something about creating more vulnerability? there? No, definitely.
2: I think it's one of those things that if you you know I didn't want to create a a hero who was you know um, Jack Reacher, Jason Bourne, James Bond sort of you know suspend your disbelief. And leave your sense of credibility at the door because this is going to be, you know, the, you know, a, a romp. Um, I, you know, all all credit to the people who write those sort of books, but um, I guess in a sense I look at someone like Joe Locken and when I first, you know, in that first novel, his world is falling apart, and it's almost a thing of saying, well, what, how can I make it even harder? You know, it's, you know, how can you make someone even that little bit more vulnerable or, or, or up the stakes a little bit more, you know. And uh, I guess in Marty Logan's case, here she is, as you say. She's her husband has disappeared, simply vanished. She's she's completely broke. Um, she's got no support. She's trying to raise two children, and one of those children is is very sick. And you know, it's it seems almost cruel to give her that added burden. But um, maybe we're cruel people, we writers. <laughs> hmm.
1: Perhaps. Um, so your your thrillers are quite. Complex. Um, so, I'm making the assumption that you plan quite extensively. Um, is that the case? And you do a lot of research and preparation before you start writing. That would be
2: completely not the case. Oh, <laughs> no. There
1: you go. Um, no, I,
2: um, I, uh, which is why I have so little hair, um, because I rip it out through the writing process. To in a book like um, The Wreckage, which had about six different storylines and. And I had no idea how I was going to wrap those storylines together at the end, because they were set on three different continents, and I couldn't even work out how to get three different parties into the one city. Um, but no, I mean, I, I uh, they do, and people talk about the fact that um, the plots are quite complex, and there are lots of twists and turns, and there's an assumption that they are planned in advance, but... Um, they're not at all. I come up with a premise and, 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 and my characters and I just, it's almost like saying what's the next worst thing that could happen and what's the next worst thing that could happen and I just and uh, I just pile pressure on them and see how they react and uh, and hopefully somewhere in the process I, I come up with a solution as to um, how they're going to escape from this predicament that put them in.
1: Right. So, does it, I mean, do you stick with the same story until you've come to that solution or are you constantly working on a few...
2: Things. No, I stick with the same story. I mean, there are times... I mean, I liken it to writing without any form of safety net. Um, it's like being a trapeze artist, and at times you swing through the air and you let go, and you tumble, and you hope there's something to grab onto um, swinging towards you. And and quite often I crash and burn, and, you know, I throw away large amounts of material because I've just written myself off a cliff or... Um, and there's no way back. So I've been able to throw you know, 40,000 words away um, because the story, you know, I've just realized how the story can work. Um, but I mean, there's something quite exciting about writing that way. It's a bit like Stephen King referred to it as, you know, walking along and seeing a bone sticking out of the ground, and you begin brushing the dirt away, and you don't know if it's going to be a dog bone or a dinosaur. And you know sometimes i I dig up dog bones and that gets they get tossed in the in the trash, and other times it's something more substantial. But it's exciting and it's organic to write that way. and I come in on some days and say to my wife, "You would not believe what's happened today um, and and because a, a twist will have surprised me. and I think that's a lot that's a lot more exciting than knowing that you know, on Tuesday week at 4 o'clock, I'm going to be writing this particular scene, you know, which I... because it's all plotted out ahead of me. I think That's I find that very, very um, hard to get motivated if I wrote that way.
1: Right. So is this because you, you started out as a journalist and then you worked as a ghostwriter? Um, so is this the way that you write novels, is this a a break away from that structured journalistic style or is it mm, I suppose I suppose you're right the...
2: it, 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 sorry, it, it, you're right well,
1: I, I also wondered if there was a, a deadline there as well that's forcing you to just get it on the page first and then yeah,
2: partly I think it's a boredom factor, there are two reasons, it's funny Val McDermott used to plot her books out extensively and she doesn't do it anymore because um, she found it actually quite tedious to go, I mean it is, a, it's the part I hate most, I hate plotting, I mean I know it's a strange confession to make when so much of crime fiction, you know, is is, you know, it's it's sort of I think equally character and plot driven, but plot is vitally important. Um but I hate that idea that I have to create twists and turns that readers do see coming and then don't see coming and I have to do that sleight of hand to make them look one way while I plant the clue with my other hand sort of, you know, that sort of conjuring trick. Um it's difficult. It does my head in and I think I prefer to just let the story unfold with, and then during the process, think of oh, what would happen if this, and just investigate a storyline, and and begin writing it, and then let it unfold. Um, I think that's the best the best way to do. I do. You mentioned research earlier, and you know, I didn't really answer that question. And all I do is I do enough research initially, to make sure that the premise that I'm setting up is 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 workable. There's not some major flaw in it. And then most of the research I do after I've written my first draft, because, you know, one of the great traps of of, um, of people that want to write is that they either, you know, they become besotted with their research or they fall in love with it and put too much of it in the story or the more research they do, keep, they keep changing their story. and And, you know, it is a case of just trying to get it down and then I can check that, you know, you can turn right on that particular street or that there is a restaurant nearby that I can set something in.
1: Mm, Yeah. So what's the editing process like for you then?
2: I think the legacy of journalism is that I write a very, very, very... I don't like... It sounds odd to say this because I write a book a year, but uh, I I don't regard myself as writing quickly. Um, I mean, my first draft will take about eight months and it will be very close to being finished... Product, and even though I might rewrite it again six times, each of those rewrites might only take. Uh, initially, a rewrite might take a week, and towards the end, a rewrite will take two days because I'm changing less and less with each of of those rewrites. And I tend to, I tend to write very, yeah. You know, I tend to I tend to create a first draft that's very close to the final, because I, I I wish I was sometimes sort of writer that just throws it down on the page and I'll go back and fix it later but uh, I tend to have to... um, It's a bit like the idea, you've probably heard it in in writing terms, people talk about whether someone is a a settler or an explorer, and and the explorer is the the writer that charges ahead and just keeps planting flags, and then keeps going and just gets the story down and plants flags along the way, and then goes back later and and, creates chapters around those flags, Um, whereas uh, the settler gets to the first little place Writes, builds a town, make sure they're really happy with that town, and then they move on and build another town. And I'm more of that solo writer.
1: Right, right. So, I mean, you just mentioned that you do write pretty much a book a year, nine books since 2004. Um, but you did mention in the acknowledge- acknowledgements of watching you that you often feel like you're out of ideas when you get to the they, end of a book. Yeah, no,
2: I. I... I finish each I, I I wish I was one of those writers that had a drawer full of ideas. Um that I could just open up and just uh and just pull a new one out and I'm I'm not like that. And towards the end of a book, I mean I I'm sort of almost probably two thirds of the way through the first draft of, of of another book now. And as I get towards the end of that I'll begin to panic about the fact that I don't have another idea for the one after it. And uh and, uh, and I will finish exhausted thinking that I've, I've used up every decent idea and clever line and, and nice description and all of it's gone, you know, Um and I will be convinced that, you know, there's nothing more to go to come that it. But, you know, then a few, a few hours later my wife will find me in my office and there'll be something, I'll be writing something. I, I, I literally, I finish one book and two hours later I start the new one, you know. Wow.
1: So it's just a spark. There's no strategy or anything that you use to get over that?
2: No, it's more a case of, you know, it's... You know, I, I guess, I am in mean, the book I'm writing now, which will come out next year, it's called um, uh, Life or Death. And, uh, you know, it, it's from something that I read many years ago and I, I cut it out, a little paragraph out of a paper and, and I found it in a folder. Um, and I, I suppose over the last 10 years, I've thought a lot about it and it's about some guy who... It's sort of the long prison sentence that escapes the day before he's due to be released. And and I just kept thinking, kept going over my head to say, why would someone do that? Why would they escape? And it's just sort of, and it's taken me sort of 10 years to think of why. But um, but now, you know, it's um, that's the novel I'm writing.
1: Okay. um, On th- crime, the, the whole crime genre and thrillers, What's the appeal to you about writing those books, and why do you think readers love it so much as well? Um, I'm
2: a sort of accidental crime writer. I didn't set out in that first novel to write a crime novel. I, you know, it was I was very fortunate it, to write 117 pages and have it become the subject of a, of a bidding war at the London Book Fair. And no one asked me how it ended. and I certainly didn't know how it ended because, you know, as I mentioned, I don't plot uh, in advance. Um, and I had no real idea that it was a crime novel. I knew it was. I knew it was sort of a bit like a you know, North by Northwest. That's of famous Hitchcock film of a case of mistaken identity. It was going to be that sort of that sort of story.
1: Um,
2: but um, I think you know I, you get asked a lot the question about why. And you know, as I say, I stumbled into it. I can. I certainly. It's not that I don't love the genre. I don't read a great deal in it. Um, but that's more because I. I find, you know, if you're writing it all the time, it's not, you tend to read something completely different. Um, um, I think there's, um, you know, there is that, that has been said a lot, people's desire for for order in their lives. They know in in real life that, you know, terrible things are done and, and people get away with shocking crimes, but the one advantage of, uh, of crime fiction, as dark as it can be, there is normally a sense of order restored at the end. There is normally, uh, you know, justice is normally served in some way. And uh, maybe, you know, I think that's one reason. I think another reason is we, we vicariously like to, to investigate our own dark sides, so and I think we all have one, and we're all capable of murder if in the right circumstances. Um, and there's a little bit of... little. Little bit of that in reading these stories as well.
1: Mm, yeah, there, there certainly is. Um, certainly with Marnie, <laughs> you get a sense that there, there's a lot more there.
2: And I think, in a case as well, I mean, you know, I am not someone that likes being scared, I, I don't watch scary films, you know, um, you know and, um, you know, but I can sort of see why, you know, people enjoy enjoy being scared they can they enjoy that the, the adrenaline run, you know flows and they they get a kick out of it particularly you know not genuinely scared if you know what i mean and when i say genuinely they're, they're sitting safe at home yeah you know? I, I mean i love the idea when people talk about you know the fact that you know when i talk about my books can move people they they normally move them to get up and check the doors a lot
1: that's true or move to turn on the lights. Yeah
2: just, yeah just to check
1: yes yeah. <laughs> Um Just one final question. What is your advice to budding authors?
2: oh look it's it's to write and to write
1: and to write i mean
2: there's no i mean I wanted to be a writer from the age of twelve and you know and there is no doubt that you get better the more you do it. The more you write and the more you read and the more you practice you get better at it um not you know and it's when you read you dissect books what you do is you should take them apart you should you should look at why they work and why they don't work and how they could have been improved and I always tell people that the thing that inspires me to be a writer aren't aren't the really truly great works of genius because they're books that you can't take apart you can't even see the joins to put your fingers inside of to try to pry apart it's the books that you read and you think I could do better than that they're the mm-hmm. books that inspire me to want to to be a writer, and um, and that's it. and other than that, just you just have to do it. You really just have to do it, and not leave all your ideas out there in the ether and talk about it, but simply sit down and write.
1: Yep, that's wonderful advice. Thank you so much for chatting to us today. I loved reading, watching you. I've had a couple of very late nights this week staying up reading it. The Um, other thing you
2: should get a chance if you haven't seen it already, but given that you're involved in the Writing Centre, I don't know if um, it's come across your radio yet, but I was involved in editing a book which came out a few weeks ago called If I Tell You I'll Have to Kill You.
1: Yes, I did see that on your website. Yeah, I
2: mean, keep an eye on that because that's got... It's got 20 essays from sort of, you know, um, all of, pretty much all of Australia's leading crime writers. The only person I couldn't grab was Peter Temple, who said yes, and then and pulled out. But it's all, it's it's their experiences of how they do this, why they do this, how they got into writing, their rules for writing, their recommended reads, and all that sort of stuff. And there's some very inspiring um, essays in there. And what i found with a lot of people that want to write is um, everyone's got a different way of doing this, but... When you read those essays, you'll find someone that actually does it the same way you do it and you feel a little bit more relieved that you're not alone.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 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 definitely. We will look out for that for sure. Um, And thank you again. It's been lovely chatting to you.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the team from the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online at writerscentre.com.au and discover details about our courses, seminars and popular online learning programs where we help students from all over the world. I'm author of the book Power Stories, the eight stories you must tell to build an epic business. And you can find out more on my personal website, ValerieKoo.com. That's Valerie, K-H-O-O, Thank you for listening.